Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Probably one of the more familiar texts in all the New Testament, John chapter 14. I know you've heard it. You've heard it at funerals. You've heard it at other times. John 13 to the end of the book is the Passion Week. All of this is in one week in the life of Jesus. John 13 through 17 is one night. It all transpires in one evening, one night. Let's pray. Holy Father, there is so much that as children of God we have to look forward to. We can't begin to comprehend the joy, the ecstasy of seeing the Lord Jesus. Of seeing Heavenly Father, those who have gone before, and all that awaits us. We know this morning that all that there is, your word tells us, and we believe. But even in our belief, we cannot begin to comprehend the joy of being in your presence. And so today, our Father, as we come to your word, we ask that God the Holy Spirit will instruct us and that he will enable us this day to say those things that will bring glory to you, that will magnify the Lord Jesus, and that will, above all, bring souls to the foot of the cross. Dear Father, I ask that God the Holy Spirit would grant his unction his illumination and his enlightenment, that the words that are shared would be the very words you would have shared, that nothing else would transpire. Now, Father, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, might be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer, in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of things in the introduction that I simply want to share with you. 
The first is the sorrow of the saints. Jesus begins chapter 14 and he says, don't let your heart be troubled. Now why in the earth would Jesus say that to these disciples? In chapter 13, they have heard at least three things that would trouble their hearts. Number one, they've heard that one of their midst is going to betray him. Now think of that. One of the twelve who has walked with him, fellowship with him, for three years is going to betray him. They've also heard that he is going to leave them and that they at this time cannot go with him. They've also heard that before the cock crows in the morning that Simon Peter is going to deny him Three times. That's been heavy for their ears, but heavier for their hearts. So there's sorrow. So now Jesus is going to give some solace. He says to them, don't let your hearts be troubled. Now he's not saying to them, in a time of grief, Don't grieve. He's not saying that. He's saying to them and to you and me that we should not act as if we do not have hope. Do not grieve as the world. Do not act as if you do not have a hope beyond this life. Don't let your heart, he's not talking about this organ that pumps blood but he's talking about that that controls our emotions and our personalities. Do not let your heart be troubled. And then he says, why? You believe in God who is invisible. You cannot see him. Your confidence has been in one, me. I have been with you. I've gone in and out. I've ministered. You believe in God, one you cannot see, believe in me as you believe in him. I'm not going to be here physically, but you believe in God, believe in me. You believe in me just like you believe in God. Now, heaven and how to get there. John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go... You know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. 
and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Now, there are three thoughts here that uh, I want to hurriedly share. The first I want you to notice is there is a place described in verse 2. Now, how would you describe this morning that eternal home that you're going to dwell in? How would you describe it? It is called in the word by at least four names. It is called a country. It's called a city. It's called paradise. And all of those distinct names have its own particular characteristics. But I want us to look at what we learn in <laughs> verse 2 about this place described. First of all, I want you to see that it is a real place. In my Father's house. It is a real place. It is the Father's house. Now, when you ask many individuals about heaven, they become very vague. And to them, heaven is something like a mist or magical. They can't get their minds around anything being real that they cannot see, feel, taste, touch, or smell. And the reason being, very little heaven is in their heart, and therefore they cannot really think about heaven being real. Heaven is real. It is the Father's house. In my Father's house. Jesus is the only person who ever used this distinction or this description of heaven. In my Father's house. Some individuals, in their thoughts, they think of heaven like the carrot that you hold out in front of the mule to get him to pull the load. And they think that those individuals who actually believe in heaven are weak-minded, individuals who cannot be motivated otherwise, individuals who have not succeeded in this life, and the only way to get them moving is to hold out something of a pie in the sky, something that is better than the life that they have here in the earth, and therefore get them moving, believing in something that isn't real. But folks, 
Jesus said, in my Father's house, it is a real place. And when he talks about it being not a real place, but also it is in this real place, it has the idea of it being a permanent place. You see, here, you and I are tent dwellers. But that is a permanent place in my Father's house. It's a real place. Not only is it a real place, it is a roomy place. In my Father's house are many mansions. Now, understand this. The word mansion did not mean then what it means today. When you use the word mansion, what do you think of? That great big Biltmore, don't you? Or something like that. That's not what it meant then. It meant a place of rest or refreshment. Something like a room or an apartment. Now, when you say that to some folks, they get upset. And they say, no, I'm going to have my mansion in heaven. What for? Do you want a thousand rooms on the back 40? What do you want it for? What are you going to do with it? Ramble around in it by yourself. That's be nutty. I mean, you know, get real. No, now read the text. In my Father's house, there are rooms for rest and refreshment for all of the family. Is that not better? That's what he says. In my Father's my wife says, she said years ago she wouldn't say it now, that Randy would like to have a house big enough for all the kids and the grandkids. Well, that may have been true then. It's not true now. I mean, it may have have been true then, but it's not true now. No. Let me see if I can illustrate it. Here's a family that with their four children. They're grown. Got their own careers. Here's one. He's a doctor. At the office, he is called Dr. Jones. At home, he is called John. Here is the the daughter. She's the president of a college. The college, she is called Madam President. At home, she is called Mary. Here's the third son. He is in the military. He is a general. At work, he is called General Jones. At home, he is called Robert. There's a fourth one. He's an inventor. 
but he's never had enough money to bring any of his inventions to fruition. Now, they're all coming home for the holidays. And mom is getting the table ready and so on. And she says, Mary will sit here. And Robert will sit here. And John will sit at the end. And because Tom hadn't been successful, I guess we'll just set Tom out on the back porch out of everybody's way. Is that what's going to happen? No. More than likely, Tom is going to sit where? By mama. You see, we do that. See, heaven is not a place of isolation. Heaven is a place of family. Now listen, folks, I'm talking about residency. I'm not talking about reward. Do you, you do understand? I'm talking about residency. I'm not talking about reward. It's family. It's roomy. What he's saying is there's enough room for all the family to be refreshed and rest and not get in one another's hair. It's a real place. It's a roomy place. And thirdly, the place described is a ready place. He said, in my, I, in my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. It is a ready place because it is prepared. Now, he doesn't go to any length at all about explaining how it is prepared. I will say this. I am thrilled to no end to be able to tell you that he is the one who does the preparing. I go to prepare. He prepares it. I go to prepare. Who is it prepared for? It is prepared for those who have received him. I go to prepare a place for you. So that is the place described. Secondly, in verse 3, there is a promise delivered. Now I think it throughout Jesus' ministry among the disciples that he had shared promises with them. But I don't think there were any more promises that were any more inspiring than the promise delivered in verse 3. There are two. First, there is the promise to return. He says in verse 3, and if I go away, and that quite frankly is better translated, and since I am going away, and if I go away, I will come again. It is a promise to return. Now, what does that mean? Well, there are those who say that means death. Nowhere in the scripture does it imply that this is death. You remember in Luke 16 when the beggar died, who came for him? 
the angels came for him. And I think angels come for those in Christ who die. I believe it's the angels that transport them to heaven. So this is not death. It is not the coming of the Holy Spirit. It is my humble but accurate opinion. Did you all hear me? I mean, it's hard to be both. But I can do it. That this is 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. That this I will return is when Christ returns in the rapture for his church. He is going to return. If I go away, I will come again. He is coming again. Some people say, I don't know what this old world is going on. I don't know what's going on. I don't either. Don't know what's going to happen, but I know who's coming. The story is told that Italy was under deep trouble. They had a, an oppressor who was extremely putting the people under deep trouble. And everyone kept saying to one another, Gerbaldi's coming. When they were hauling people off to prison, they would whisper in their ears, Gerbaldi's coming. Men would slip out at night and they would write on the sidewalk and on the walls, Gerbaldi's coming. And when, the, when Gerbaldi began to, when it was evident that Gerbaldi was on the outskirts of the town, the whole city erupted, place just erupted in joyful shouts. Gerbaldi's coming. Well, Gerbaldi came and he freed the city. Listen, folks, I want to tell you something. There's a greater than Gerbaldi who is coming. The greatest event in the history past is that Jesus came, that he suffered the cross for you and me that he was buried and that he rose again. And the greatest event of the future is his coming again. His second coming is mentioned 318 times in the New Testament. His promise to return. Now I know that has been talked about and said over and over and over again. And sometimes our ears get dull of hearing but that doesn't change the promise. His promise to return. Secondly, there is his promise to receive. I will, what does he say? I'll come again and receive you unto myself. You see, I believe it is the desire of the Lord Jesus to have those who have received him to have those with him. He'll say later in John 17, 24, Father, I will that those whom you have given me be with me where I am. And where is, where is he? He is with the Father. 
going to receive. He's coming to receive you and me, those that have received him. You see, he's going to receive those who have received him. Now, hurriedly, the third thing. There is a pathway declared in verses 4 through 6. Jesus said, I'm going away where I'm going. You can't come. Thomas, who gets a bad rap, later on he does doubt. But in this particular case right here, Thomas asked a question that needed to be asked. And I think all of them wanted to know. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus then shares with them this pathway. And I want you to look at it. The pathway is definite. There is no ambiguous things here. He says to him, Jesus said, I am. I am. Now that automatically tells us of his deity. And it takes us back to that statement of when Moses asked the Lord, who do I tell them sent me? And the Lord God said, you tell them I am that I am. And Jesus said throughout the gospel in John, I am the bread of life, I'm the water, I'm the good shepherd. It's seven I am's. And now he just says, I am. Not I was, not I will be. You see, he is what he was. And he is what he will be. He is always in the present tense. Get your mind around that. He is in the present tense. Now, what is your greatest need this morning? Then Jesus says to you, I am. And he allows you and me to fill in the blank. I am whatever your greatest need is. And then that pathway is described in verse 6. And he uses, when, he, when he's talking about this pathway, he's not pointing to, but he's pointing this way. He is the pathway. He says, I am the way. In the definite article, the Talks, makes about the exclusiveness of it. There are folks who think if they give enough money to church or to charity or if they're good enough. No, just one way. Just one. I am the way. Now somebody come along and say, now wait a minute, Dr. White, that is mighty narrow. I tell you what, folks, as lovingly as I can say it, I want to be as narrow as this book. And when Jesus says in this book, no man comes to the Father except through me. As Forrest Gump says, that's all I got to say about that. Because there's no exceptions. He is the way he is the truth. And the truth of Jesus is not afraid to be examined. 
He is the life. He is the emancipator. He frees. He is life abundant. How do you get to heaven? Right here. You must know Jesus Christ personally. And you know him personally by coming to the foot of the cross, acknowledging that you've sinned, that you cannot save yourself, asking him for his forgiveness, for him to wash you in his blood, and for the risen Lord Jesus to save you. Heaven is sweet, and it is for those who have come to faith in Christ. Heaven, how to get there? It's real. It's real. Can't imagine anyone not wanting to go. It's a prepared place for prepared people. Are you prepared? Are you on the way? If not, Today is your day of destiny. We're going to stand together. We're going to have a prayer. And I want to invite you this morning to make the decision you'll be glad you made when you stand before the Lord Jesus. Holy Father, in this moment of our invitation, speak to hearts.